BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman. And today, just in this world of so much hard stuff, I am bringing you Clea Wade. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's a poet, and her work explores hope, resilience, and the power of love. She wrote Heart Talk, Where to Begin, and What the Road Said, which is a beautiful children's book. And her new book, Remember Love, Words for Tender Times. We're going through, but we're going through it with the lens of mothers who have words and wisdom to share with our kids, but like they don't really want to hear our words of wisdom so much. So this is beautiful to borrow some words. If you enjoy this episode, don't feel like you can't take a little moment to write a little review and give a five-star rating. And of course, this is the time to pre-order the five principles of parenting, my first book. And when you pre-order it, Go to DrAliza.com so you can put in your order number and get an early chapter sneak peek and join me for my resilience masterclass. We're going to have a live Q&A and discussion on that particular part of the book that's coming up in a couple of weeks. I cannot wait to see you. And I would not have written this if I did not think, because I might, you know, I don't want to put more work in the world for parents. I wouldn't have written this if I didn't think this was going to actually give you relief and ease. So I was thinking about one of the writings in this book, and I thought it might help people understand, because I think I look at the world through the lens of, of course, I have a particular psychological spin, but it's also could be just mindfulness or it could be poetry. You know, it's like whatever speaks to you. And I'm going to find the poem that I thought would be helpful in explaining certainly what I'm hoping to be able to get across. And now I read this beautiful book with my daughters. Like we're pulling out pieces to read together at the dinner table because there are life lessons in here that don't come across as well when your mom is like, I'm so wise. Let me tell you. You know, something I learned so or felt so kind of early on when I was writing anyway, is that if you really work hard at what you're writing, it can be universal. So like, I really would have like a 16 year old who was, you know, getting 
treatment for something going on that was hard in her life and a woman who was in her late fifties getting divorced, read the same poem and have a completely different experience. And whenever I'm writing, that is always my goal, that it is like intimate, that it feels close to you and close to your heart, but truly like, you know, it takes so much, I guess, kind of spiritual work to say like, I'm not trying to control what you want to do with this. Like, I'm going to make this thing and I'm going to hand it like this so that it's an offering. And it's for you to do what you need to do with it, not what I want you to do with it. And I think that's one of the hardest things to control for yourself when you're writing, because you have that kind of like mother knows best inside of you that everybody has, whether they're a mom or not. And you have that kind of like desire to really want to control the outcomes, but giving people just a free space to say like, hold this with you however you need. I feel like that is a mother just in general. Yeah. Particularly when you have adolescence, but I think this is true always, but these words, whether it's because you had in mind this offering for so many people going through so many different things or just people who are growing as people. And it just gives you a moment to feel like you're not alone. Because I think what happens is we get in our heads, particularly young people, we get in our heads that we're the only people thinking these thoughts or feeling these feelings. And the relief, the just beautiful relief of being able to read these words and see like on my children's faces that these are not alone feelings and thoughts. And you know, the thing is, is that of course they feel that way because resiliency is a muscle and one kind of coping tool is I know I'm not the only one. Like that is actually how we can cope with a really tough thought about ourselves, our lives, our face, our, you know, bodies, our, all these things. But I think that that type of resiliency in those muscles, like, unfortunately, only strengthen with time and adversity. So when you are kind of at the beginning of an adult journey where like you don't have the kind of experience that's lent that wisdom to you and you haven't built the muscle of resiliency because there's been a ton of adversity for you to figure out how to cope or kind of handle, it's really, really hard because it it is actually, and it's hard, I think sometimes for adults and parents to remember what it's like to go through a thought for the first time, not an experience, but a thought about yourself. That's such a good reminder. It's true. These things that feel like, oh, you're going to have a million of those thoughts. You're going to have a million of those experiences. That doesn't feel really good to hear. No. And it's hard because that muscle is working so well for you. You don't even think about it because there's just no way that you get over, you know, probably 28 and don't have that. And so the thing is, is that, you know, especially like with the more time you've had to use the muscle and the more things you've had to kind of figure out how to reconcile within you and be like, you know what, even the profound thought of like this relationship doesn't work out. That's like when you've had the hardest possible relationship not work out, which for most people is probably their marriage or, you know, even more profoundly, probably like a really early abandonment of a parent or whatever. It's like, we really don't realize how much that has built in our ability to like have strength in a muscle. And I think the hardest thing about being resilient is you don't know you're doing it in the moment. And it's only the wisdom of the experience on the other end that built the muscle for you to barely even think about it the next time you need it. So it's really hard to watch your kids because 
we all know how to do it when like, if you've been divorced and then you go on a date and the date didn't work out, you're like, well, things just don't work out sometimes. Like, but only be the experience of that big breakup lent you that ability to just kind of move through that without this crazy, like reckoning with your insecurities. And that's really important. And I would just add to that, that when you have kids that have, that are starting to have these early experiences, that it's the very thing that you mentioned, like you're going through the experience and that's how you're building the muscle. But the resilience is built from having someone sit beside you. So, you know, you're not going through these things in the absence of support, but still going through them. And so you have this tiny little, what page is it on? I'll read it. Page 30. I have so many things I want you to read. And I want to ask you about things that you're, you want to read. Oh, I love this one. You know, that's so crazy. All of my girlfriends who have read this book call out this page. Really? It's so weird. And, and, you know, I think as when I was writing this book, the prose were such personal writing for me than, than I have usually, or historically kind of put out into the world. And so for me, I felt that like every kind of big connection would be with like this revelatory thing in the book. But this one, which is like probably the one of the most simple poems in the book has been the number one thing that everyone is like, oh my God. But it is so true. And I just think like how much resilience building goes into this idea if you know that you have this like beloved someone, ideally, you know, in the case, like in this context, when we're talking about raising our kids, like they have us, but it's like, you're not fixing it you're not taking it Mm -hmm. away and you're not pretending to with poetry. And I just think it's so profound. So will you read it? This is called A Small and Mighty Truth. A small and mighty truth. Going through it is often how we get to the other side of it. Remember this when you want to give up. So true. There was a lot of reasons I wanted to start writing this book, but before I write anything, I always kind of think of the intention behind it. And also I think about the experience of the other. So I I really approach how I write as in like, how do I show up lovingly and responsibly in this relationship with the other? And so the, the same way with a friend, and I actually have the same approach to writing as I do to one of my friends called me and was going through a tough time and I needed to go sit in the kitchen with her. I try to bring and harness that same kind of energy And so, so much of what I felt when I was writing this book, which was why it was like, you know, I really, really stayed away from how to do this or why we want to do this or, you know, because I do feel that lately, especially, and I don't know if you've noticed this or it's been in your algorithm or maybe it's just in mine, but it's like, we're trying to hack everything. Yes, exactly. We're trying to hack parenting. Like I totally agree with you. And these words and you know i want to hear what you have to say now but that resonates with me so much you know it's like this strange do this not that and like here the here's like how you fix this and yeah, or three ways for this and and actually what we've what, what's happened is we've taken kind of this template of expression on social media and because it kind of is entertaining because it must be getting a lot of views we're kind of just placing it on the like total human experience we go through. And so I think that that's a really, like that's actually a really big challenge because ultimately if your goal 
is to truly help people first and foremost. And then you have figure out these different ways in which you can. So it might be through a podcast, it might be through something you write, or it might be through something, some place you speak. But holding on to your intention that your intention is, I think that there's something in me that could help somebody who's going through this. So if you actually are holding on to that, you you think less about the like avenues of like how it, you know, or making sure that you're up to date and making in that like you are doing it in the right way that is supposed to have the things and whatever. And what I noticed is that I felt that there was this kind of unhelpful culture of hacking heartbreak, hacking parenting, hacking, you know, your child's really tough time. Do you know, like three things, like if you're depressed or anxious and you're like, hold on, like depression and anxiety are like unbelievably abstract. And like, there's so much to understand about them spiritually. There's so much to understand about them as far as like, you know, treating a genetic set point. There's so much to understand about them as far as like helpful tools for different types of thinkers and feelers. Like there is so much there that to reduce it to hacks, I think is really scary. And so, so much of when I was writing this book, I was like, you know, I just want people to know that like, if you're going through heartbreak or if you're going through what I would call a tender time, whatever that may be, you actually just need someone who wants to hold your hand or be there or sit with you. If you are having the worst day, you just want someone who's sitting with you and they're not telling you to get up and do these four things or, you know, and they're just actually affirming that what you feel is always correct as you're feeling it and that you don't need to like push yourself out of it and that people are just going to be there with you. And maybe people can't. So maybe you need a book or, you know, your spiritual scripture or, or, you know, your whatever it may be. But to me, that is how writing and books and literature and poetry can be so unbelievably helpful because if you're creating these types of livable human experiences for people. And it really, and and by the way, you know, I started your book and I love, what I love about it is that you do feel you in it. And I, and I thought about how helpful it is when it just feels like it's you and people already know you in a different way. And so it's like, there's such, it's such a gift and an offering to say to someone like, even if I'm not there and even if we're not friends in your real life, but we, you feel like we're friends because you listen to my pod or you follow me online in your most intimate moments where maybe you're like, I have to get off my phone because my phone's making me crazy. And I don't know about you, but I've had that even the past couple of days and, or like the phone is just not the place for this. You know, I was, as you know, I was going through it, some incredible grief with my best friend's father over these past two weeks. And it's like, that. it's just not the place. Like it's not the place that just, it's not. And so it's amazing. I think to have a book that you can kind of keep on your bedside table and like, you know, maybe you had the friends helping you through the experience earlier, holding your hand, or maybe your mom was there. But by the time you're going to sleep, it's just you. And, you know, I think that that's why for forever people have kept, whether it's like a Bible by their bed or the Quran by their bed or the Torah by their bed to read a scripture before or read, read something before bed, because it does kind of help to say like, wow, in the very last moments I'm alone with my thought, I don't have to be alone in my situation. And now a word for my sponsors. Do you remember those life insurance ads on the radio when you were a kid? Probably not. Because that was for your parents to worry about. 
And guess what? Now we're the parents. So now we actually have to pay attention and think about this thing that is just, it's just not pleasant to think about. It's time to get life insurance to help protect our families. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick and easy to get a high quality policy so your family is covered if the unexpected happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes, which is unheard of because this whole process can be such a pain. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes without a health exam required. So because Fabric can give you a personalized quote in just minutes and then apply to when it's convenient for you, all online, all on your schedule, join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com humans. That's meetfabric.com humans. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash humans. This episode is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Of course, we know that getting support from a therapist can be so important, but sometimes our brains give us stories about why we don't have time, why we don't have capacity to take that energy and put it toward ourselves. We know it's good for us, but we don't always do it. And that's the thing about therapy is it also helps us do the other things that we know are good for us, but don't always do. So obviously, if you need support, which many, many of us do, especially in the transition to parenthood and being a parent, if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, which obviously is one of the biggest barriers to getting started. It's flexible and can suit your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time just to make sure that it's the right fit. So make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com humans today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash humans. That's betterhelp.com slash humans. Learning to use things like poetry and writing to sit and feel supported because this is like what the world is made of. Like this is the stuff to me that is just so magical and I want to keep reading some of your words because to me, it's like, yes, keep this next to your bedside. And also how many of us have our like 13 year olds have poetry next to their bedside that is not the kind of poetry. I mean, there are different, different things speak to different people, but I will say that the language that you use and the words that you use do really resonate across ages and they feel in this wild way to me, like they could be written a hundred years ago or a hundred years from now. And so it's incredibly powerful just to have that, to have access to that. Like you just have access and it feels like wisdom 
that it, that you're, you're pulling out of it. Like when I'm reading your words or when my child is reading your words, we each have our own experience of it. We're each translating it. And Lord knows we could be completely interpret, you know, misinterpreting something in our own way, but to have that, to have that skill, to have that capacity, to have that offering, it's just another thing that is the part of our lives that like we can do like this, we can do, I can offer this to my daughters. This is not hard. (laughs) And by the way, that's the gift of whether it's words or poetry. I don't know if you know this story, but the kind of the birth of like the Hallmark card company was World War II and people were gone for so long that they ran out of things to say in their letters. And so someone said, we should create cards to say it for you. And like this idea that like we can love someone so much that we still want to make sure that we're sending them this card away in this, you know, war that they're fighting, but I no longer have the words. And I think that that is like such an incredible value of why I always say that poetry was my therapy before I could afford therapy. It gave me labeling for things inside my heart. It gave me words that really like crystallize something I was thinking about and trying to understand and whether for, you know, and listen, by the way, for me, that could have been a book of Rumi and for your kids, it could be Taylor Swift lyrics and that's poetry totally. too, like, or, you know, and so, right. And so it's like, or could have been, you know, for me, like, I'll never forget when I heard Lauren Hill's X Factor, I'll never forget the way it got me through you know, the first time I felt my heart was in 5,000 pieces and it was because I hung on every word. It wasn't because it was just something I wanted to like sway my body to. And I think that like allowing that to be a gift for you and, and letting the arts do that for your kids or for you and saying like, yes, I get it. If you're going to lay on the floor and just listen to this new Taylor Swift album over and over and over again and like silently cry, I guess I will just lay down next to you and do it because I should allow it to gift you like the understanding of what you're feeling that maybe I don't have the words for. I just want people to get a little bit of just the feels that you get from these words and the treat of having you read them. And then they can get this and read this. And also, I really mean this, putting this at the bedside of your daughter, reading this with your kids at the dinner table these are ways to invite how poetry and words can just make us who we are. And of course, we both have two daughters. So it's like, that's my personal perspective. But just if you could pull out one thing to read, imagining you're reading this to your daughter, that's like asking you who your favorite child is probably. Okay. I would probably, for my daughter, I would probably do findings, which is page 12. And it says, feeling lost. Oh my God. I just want Did you, you to pick it? Something. I just need to show you this because it's so crazy. No. That is exactly what I picked. Uh. So I would say findings. Feeling lost reminds us we have a home, a place within waiting and willing to welcome us and shelter us, a place within where we eternally and unconditionally belong. A place within where love begins and never ends. So much of when I wrote this, 
and, and a lot of people, this is the first book I've written since having my kids. Yeah. And a lot of people have asked me, you know, like, what's the biggest difference in your writing? And actually so much of why I really wanted to focus on love in this book and call this book, Remember Love, is because the biggest thing that was made clear to me, and, you know, I've spent a lot of time, you know, I've mentored kids, I've been around a lot of kids, but until you live with children, you really don't understand just the depths of what there is to notice about them. And one of the first notes I wrote on the board for kind of starting to outline or understand what this book would be is our love is our birthright. And I noticed that because when I watch my daughters who are two and three and a half, they love themselves. It is so uncomplicated. They don't think anything's wrong with themselves. Like one has like a cute gap in her teeth and she thinks it's the best thing ever. And she's like, I don't have a tooth here. And I was like, you, <laughs> you know, they've got, you know, red curly crazy hair. They're like, you know, they have stuff all over them and they spin and they delight in who they are. And they have yet to have anyone in the world tell them that there is something wrong with them. And that love, like they truly enjoy, they truly like delight in who they are. And so to have seen that since their kind of personality show up around, you know, six months, four months, when they really actually start to giggle at something or laugh at their own hand or chew on their own foot and think it's the best thing ever, you realize that like it is there. Like I was, it was more confirmed to me than ever that like, while we are just getting back to where our love is. And like some things bring us far from it and some things confuse us and it is there. All we have to do is whatever it takes to kind of return home to it. But it is, you know, the, the page next to that page has this kind of thing of like the motel, there's a page about the motel six and it says, mm -hmm. we'll leave the light on for you. And it says something like, you know, when you feel lost or you feel you can't find yourself, tell yourself I'm on my way and hear yourself say, we'll leave the light on for you. The light is on. It's dim and there's fog and there's all of these elements between you, but they are elements between you. And what is true is that the love is there and it is within you and you are there. And now a word for my sponsors. Nordic Naturals is one of my favorite brands for vitamins. In fact, it is my favorite vitamin brand. Nordic Naturals is the number one selling fish oil brand in the U.S. I definitely took Nordic Naturals as my prenatal vitamin when I was pregnant 17, I guess almost 18 years ago. I knew then and I continued to know that it is just the best brand for knowing what you're putting in your body and that it's supporting your health and your baby's health. Well, now I'm in a different phase and I love their women's products. Nordic Natural Omega-3 products deliver foundational support for women to promote a healthy brain, heart, and immune system at the cellular level. Nordic Natural supplements for women are non-GMO verified, third-party tested for quality. They contain no artificial colors or flavors. We need Omega-3s for our brain development. And when you get to a certain point in life, you know that you need it. <laughs> it makes a big difference. Your brain is asking for this. So give your brain some Nordic natural supplements for women. I should say these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and the product itself is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. But I will say I take Nordic naturals 
Shop today at Nordic.com. Use the promo code RGH for 20% off your first order. With the busy fall season very much in swing, you, like me, might be looking for some convenience while also wholesomeness and health. So if you want to try America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit to help you fuel up for breakfast, lunch, dinner, really anything, ready-to-eat meals that are delivered straight to your door, it really does save you time to eat well and stay on track with a healthy lifestyle if you're feeling just a little too busy to cook all the time. The meals are never frozen. They're ready in just two minutes. You just have to heat them and enjoy them. I work from home during the day and I'm not going to stop and go out to lunch because I don't know, I'm a working mom. I'm working from home. I want to be able to get my my things done. I don't want to drive somewhere and blah, blah, blah. And so if I'm rushing to have lunch at home, but I'm trying to be healthy and take a moment for myself, having something ready-made like Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals is super helpful. And you can level up with their Gourmet Plus option, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. So head to factormeals.com slash humans50 and use the code humans50 to get 50% off. That's code humans50 at factormeals.com slash humans50 to get 50% off. Do you want to read a book that Dr. Lisa Damore describes as the book parents have been waiting for? or the one that Dr. Dan Siegel describes as a magnificent guide to being the parent you may have always wished you'd had, or Drew Barrymore, who says that it's her go-to for how we all, including ourselves, raise good humans. And Jennifer Garner says Dr. Lisa Pressman's excellent and long-anticipated book, The Five Principles of Parenting, reflects her warmth, humor, and depth of knowledge, and no-nonsense approach to raising good humans. I. I'm so honored to have these people who I respect so much let you know why you should get this book. And I would be very excited to see you on the Resilience Workshop next week. If you pre-order now The Five Principles of Parenting, go to DrAliza.com and make sure to turn in your receipt or screenshot of your receipt or order number. Just follow the directions. And I can't wait to see you. Okay, so now we're growing up and part two is like a whole other thing, worthy rebellion. What I okay, I have two that I want to read. Okay. So one is page 67, and it says, You will only feel behind if you think there is one trail that leads to the top of the mountain. There are more ways to get to where you want to go than you could possibly imagine you move forward by focusing on your path. And I think for kids and teens especially and and I notice it because you know I have two Simon has two sons from his previous marriage and I'm you know I feel like I have a more intimate understanding with teenage life than I ever had before and there is just so much pressure and I have so many friends who have teens and there's so much pressure to feel that at, on the beginning of their journey they're already getting it wrong. And I think that to affirm, to kind of rid themselves of their imagination is the only thing they can get wrong at their age. Mm. So to have decided that like there's a tunnel vision 
for success is probably the only thing I would say, I think you've got it wrong. But as long as you're approaching your path with imagination, I think you're always going to be doing the right thing for you. And then my other one from this that I would say give for teens is 86. It says, a magazine asked Gloria Steinem how she defines success. She said, it's the moment when you feel you are doing something you care about, that you can be honest, and that you are able to live in the moment. Mm. I often use these words to anchor me to a more purposeful perspective. They remind me that a big part of success is following what feels good. It feels good to do things we care about. It feels good to be honest, and it feels good to live in the moment. The recipe for success could just as easily be a recipe for happiness. At the end of the day, isn't a happy life a successful one? I love that. I love that because... She came in an era when success was a different word. And I think that that is what she was capturing, a meaningful life, happiness. But at that time, success for women was like, yeah, now it's the, it's weighted. Yeah. It was only what the one thing was. If you weren't trying to be in the workspace in a very specific way, you were not successful. And, and that's something I feel really happy about is there's just more room for women, especially to say that I'm just trying to have a happy life, however that looks. Because I don't think that we were allowed to or allowed ourselves to center happiness and joy in how we build our lives historically. There's one more from this part. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it is. It must be that my brain was just like thinking this has such a quality of reminders in this incredibly achievement-oriented world that I just felt like, oh, more of this. So there's something else that you brought up that gets lost sometimes when we're talking about affirming ourselves, which is the repair and the errors and the way that Mm. we understand as we do this whole thing of being a person, we're going to fall on our face a lot. And I was wondering if you could we can add that one. When we own our errors, when we offer apology, we contribute to collective oneness. We want others to feel seen and okay because we recognize that their okayness holds hands with our okayness. Don't let your silence give way to distance where an apology can create connection. I didn't even anticipate as I was writing this to write so much about saying I'm sorry you know, and, and, and apologizing. Like I, because I just think that there's so little conversation on that in a way that I think would be so collectively healing and two pages or a few pages after that, it says there are two words that more often than not open doors, arms, hearts, and new chapters. I'm sorry. And I just felt like, you know, to me, the words I'm sorry are often like the biggest wall between us. This inability for us to apologize to our children for our own humanity, this inability for us to apologize for what we didn't see before, but we are asking to be seen in us right now. Do you know what I mean? And so, and and I think that that just creates so much conflict that has like no space for resolution at all. And so I ended up writing like such a big part of that book was about how I'm sorry is kind of shorthand for I see you. And I like, I understand that 
how I showed up in this hurt your feelings. And it's really powerful because I think a practice with I'm sorry is life-changing for adults and, and kids. And even when I say practice, it's hard to even understand how to teach it in children because, you know, don't you think your kids, I, I, my three and a half is going through this right now where she'll like, she learned I'm sorry. So she'll say like, I'm sorry for something in a really like profuse way that's like intense. And she'll be like, I spilled this. I'm so sorry. And you, and you are trying to be like, okay, hold on. There's a line between like, I'm understanding, like, I'm sorry and shaming you for like something accident or like understand, you know, whatever. And so it's also really hard to like kind of pause and say, what do I want my child's practice of repair to be? Do you know, like, when do I want them to understand and how do I want them to understand the use of I'm sorry? Totally. I think there's like the forced I'm sorry is that end up turning I'm sorry into shame. And like, yeah. then there's the forced I'm sorry is that end up turning people into, I just need to say the words, but I don't need yeah. to sort of embody the words. But then there's the, I'm sorry, because I'm so like you just, you know, that I'm sorry, I'm sorry, where you're trying to turn the volume down on that. Sorry. Like yeah, yeah. Hey, that's different. That just is like, oop, that's an oops. <laughs> and then there's the sorry that's not for you and not for me, but for us. Yes. And it's like the, I'm sorry that is there because my desire is that we are connected and in community. And I know that like these words are a blessing in that space. And that is the real, I'm sorry. But the problem is, is that because of those other versions, like I can't tell you how many times, like even like dating where you'll be like, wow, you don't know how to say I'm sorry, but I'm, but if I like kind of reflect on what I know about your life, I could tell you that like, it's a shame space for you. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I get that. You know, I, like I, I really experienced that in so much of this book I wrote about like heartbreak and things like that. So I really reflected on the people that I had been with before and the stories from my girlfriends and. I was like, wow, you know, so much of this block is, I'm sorry, exists only in a shame space. And some people only can enter vulnerability through shame, which is why they avoid both. Or like those things are, are really, really connected. Mm -hmm. This one's called Everything That's Happened. It's on page 202. And it says, there are some very large letting goes to do. People, places, honeyed and bitter phases of life. There are some even larger letting goes to do. Anger, tears, parts of yourself that leave with no return. Have a past. Everything that's happened cannot be held today. I need all of the ones that we did, but with your writing. <laughs> yes, I'll give them all to you. Because clearly I need to put them out. I don't want to, I don't want to make a messy with my, someone's going to like go to your house and think I just like graffitied all over the walls. <laughs> oh my God. That's such a dreamy idea. <laughs> that is your next collaboration. You should do the wallpaper. I would like splatter it all over the girls' rooms and they would be better for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll still do my rooms. I'm like <laughs> clearly fixated on them right now, but me too. Why wouldn't we want to bathe in all those words all over? <laughs> Thank you so much, Cleo. Thank you so much.
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.